Think you finally figured out what went on with Iran this week? Don't be so sure. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And mostly the true threats to our liberty are embedded in what seem like just reporting the news. What you hear in that 24-7 cable news cycle seems like a variety of stories, most of which really should not affect you directly. But it's my conclusion that nothing gets there that isn't meant to be there for another purpose. I'm not saying it's not true. Most of it is true. But it's always there for an agenda, a policy purpose, and a, a lot of times... Too much of the time. It's there to get us to advocate for things or consent to things that are against our interests, against our principles, or that impair our rights and protections under the law. So this week's stories are no exception. I actually have quite a few important stories I want to go through, important because they affect us and have implications for uh for our rights, and I usually focus on the Bill of Rights. The number one story isn't exactly about that. It's the story of the tankers in the Gulf of Oman that were hit, uh, attacked. One was a Norwegian tanker, and the other was a Japanese tanker. I'm really surprised that maybe today people know, but during the week, very few people realized that these tankers were not ours and that we got involved because we just zip over there. Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of Japan, was in Iran trying to supposedly be a peacemaker or maintain good relations with Iran. I don't know. But and we can get to that. But but right out of the gate, what's very unusual about this story is there are fishy elements to the story. So we think the, the main narrative felt like right away knee jerk. Oh, Iran. The nutcases over there just got mad at Trump for withdrawing from the nuclear deal, from doubling down on sanctions, from coercing other countries to join in the sanctions in order not to get on our bad side. And they just popped off on these on these other on these tankers. But quickly, cracks started to emerge in that story. Now, for me. There are always cracks in stories like that. It would be completely irrational for Iran to do that. It doesn't even make sense, even to the extent that they said, if this persists, if this economic pressure persists, we will retaliate in the only way we can, which is by closing the Straits of Hormuz. This isn't that. This is not a, a line in the sand. This is something behind the scenes, that, and especially to attack a Japanese tanker while Abe is in Iran. I mean, it makes no sense. And I normally notice things like that. But when the chick on Outnumbered is saying it on Fox News in prime time, I have to wonder if that isn't part of the story. So I hear this and I think, why? Why are they making this confusing story clear that there's something up, that the reporting isn't right or there's some people who have an agenda. And the first time I noticed, this is not the first time I've noticed something like this. Last year, uh, Tucker Carlson, of all people, 
Tucker Carlson's father was a a master propagandist. I think it was, he was head of Radio Free Radio America. Uh, in any case, Carlson is uh, born to the uh, propaganda mansion, and and he came out last year when Trump popped off against Syria based on chemical weapons allegations, use of chemical weapons. And there were holes in that story. There are always holes in that story. The chemical weapons stories are full of holes, all of them from the beginning. The investigations don't pan out. I actually had video of the rebels using the chemical weapons in the first allegation of that, not the government using it. It was very clear. It was accidentally aired by CNN. Or I think it was CNN, and I, I captured it like on my phone. I can probably find it on my WordPress. So, like, that story does have holes in it, but nobody ever reported the holes before. And then Tucker Carlson is our hero, and I'm thinking, A, maybe they're letting him do this to shore up his credentials, to tap into the the conspiranoid fringe of the right, which I'm not casting aspersions. If you want conspiracy theories, there are a lot that really hold together, and I recognize them. But with this guy... It just didn't seem right. So I thought, what? What? let's assume that he's not just a man after the truth and Fox keeps him on the air anyway, that he that there's something going on here. And what I, I concluded, and I had already been kind of thinking this, it was always a possibility, that that there are plenty of we have evidence we've played on this show that the powers that be the right wing establishment, the neoconservatives, I'm not just saying generally I can name names. I have the names listed. It's a, it's a whole continuum of guys who a lot of them are purport to be never Trumpers. They want war with Iran, but they also want to keep their seat at the table. And for us to have a war with Iran will be awful and hard to justify. So I concluded that one way they might want to do that, might be able to do it, is to distance from the starting of the war by saying, oh, we're never Trumpers. We're Republicans, but we're never Trumpers. And this guy, we warned you, he's rogue. The left, obviously, is going to say Trump is emotional, he's impulsive, he's stupid, he's crazy. And on the right, it's just, well— He's got all these people he's surrounded with who, gee, I don't know how they got there. I guess somebody's up to no good. What can he do? He's doing his best, and he's fighting the good fight, but he's just got bad information. He's got Bolton, I mean Pompeo, and Bolton together. You know, I mean, Pompeo is the new Bolton now. So, And Bolton was the guy who initiated this or or was used against him the expression the stovepiper because under Bush he got – like picture a potbelly stove. He got all the information and then he just curated it and distilled it up to Bush. So Bush had only one one choice to make in his mind. This is a CFR trick, Council Foreign Relations trick, from Woodrow Wilson's time. That's what they do. That's what they say they do. And so it looked so so Bolton took a lot of the heat for Bush's stupidity. And I'm putting that in quotes. Like Bush was painted as stupid. Reagan was always painted as stupid. And now you see Bolton in the scene, so you think it's going to be him. But it's not. It's Pompeo. So, like, now Pompeo is this villain who it's not as obvious that he's the bad guy because he's kind of new to the scene. He said some things that people like in the past. It's going to take a while. 
but he's beginning to emerge as a kind of villain character. And Trump is dedicated to the information that he gets from these guys. And now, in the end, if if things progress there and we do have a war with Iran, everyone can distance from Trump except for this tiny little pod, and they will take the heat. They will literally be scapegoated, which is in the – I think it was an Old Testament thing where you the community could could – project onto a goat all their sins and then slaughter it and be cleansed. So that will, they, these guys will just be taken out and it'll be gone. But I don't think that today or tomorrow is when the shooting war begins. I think what's actually happening over there right now is they're using this as a uh, an excuse to put more U.S. ships in the area. And the reason... It get it's it's not right. Like from a libertarian point of view, or even just a free country point of view, it's not right. Ha- what's happening? What's happening is we don't like what Iran's doing all over the Middle East, and and if there's competition to be the regional power there, the regional hegemon between Saudi Arabia and Iran, we're backing Saudi Arabia. They are our allies, even though their system is less democratic. Their human rights violations are higher. They have a depraved ruling family. I can tell you about that. If you want to hear, uh, 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 one of the princesses just got in trouble for um, forcing, <laughs> having her a decorator beaten, I think, and forced to kiss her feet. And a uh, couple of years ago, there was a, a Saudi prince in London who went to jail for murdering his servant. It's they, There's just a depravity there. That we should not be proud of, but even more to the point, they spread terrorism, al-Nusra, al-Qaeda. These are all things that Saudi Arabia is, does not have their hands clean on. I mean, I think that's in the record. So, And they're the Sunnis. The Sunnis are the ones who are blamed for 9-11. So why, why are we the Saudi ally? But what we do is for that alliance, we pressure the world to sanction Iran. That puts the world so, and the world doesn't want to get on our bad side, so they capitulate. But now they have a problem because Iran can stop them from going through the Straits of Hormuz. So now they have to decide whose side to be on. And to compensate them for the risk, we send our ships over to escort their tankers through the Straits of Hormuz. So now we're in this position that we have to guarantee security to private billionaire shippers shipping energy for billionaire energy companies, uh, uh, diminishing the cost of insurance for billionaire insurance companies on our taxpayers' dime because we're manipulating the geopolitics over there. When in reality, if there are tensions there having nothing to do with us, they can provide their own security or they can negotiate with the governments around there and maybe the price of oil will go up from that region to us. But but we're paying for it anyway. We're paying for it in taxes without any choice of whether we just reduce our consumption or go oil independent. We can have these choices, but they're being made at the highest levels, not for us. For geopolitics, all the actors in the military-industrial complex are a part of it. And, and we're being fed a line, and we're being fed a line in a way that it's hard to really understand what that line is. It's hard to really understand what's going on. And again, we're distracted by the drama. 
and we're not realizing that while we're chattering about who saw what, our ships are motoring over there to make the next stage of this even more dangerous. So that's my assessment of this situation. I'm absolutely happy. I'm open to other interpretations. Bring it on. Let's have a um, civil discourse about this. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. But there are many, many important stories this week that I'd like to tick off one by one. So we can talk about this. We can move on to other things, whatever you want. Uh, and you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know. This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I just laid out what I think is really going on this week in Iran. And actually, it was a lot. So if you want to hear it again or listen to it more slowly, you might want to check it out on uh, thepropreport.com. My producer, Binkley, is here. Hey, Binkley, how you doing? I'm great. It's a wonderful day outside. I love that. It's always good. I'm going to try to keep it lighthearted. We're not in a fighting war yet, like a shooting war yet, so we should be uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, it's just a propaganda war right now. So far, so far. So so uh, we were. So if you want to hear that, you can listen to it. We post it on Wednesdays, and then we have our own podcast uh, that we post on Thursdays on thepropreport.com. But one of the things that Binkley and I were talking about this week, I don't think we hit it on the podcast. Oh, because it all just came together as I realized Trump would be scapegoated. If you think about that expression, the scapegoating is you package it up and throw it out. So Binkley and I both noticed, I noticed that Judge Napolitano, who I really like, he's a Fox News contributor. He was the youngest guy to sit on the federal bench. He's a real libertarian friend of Ron Paul's. He said he he was he's been very loyal and given the benefit of the doubt to Trump all along. But lately he's been turning it around. And even Justin Amash, a hardcore libertarian congressman, voted in favor, like even just in a committee of Trump getting impeached. I mean, or starting those procedures. I mean, really weird stuff. I don't know about if he's in on anything, but but that uh, and I and and at the same time, I got this quora. This like propaganda machine thing saying, is Judge Andrew Napolitano going to get fired for contradicting Trump? And then I realized that even Fox is starting to say stuff about uh, that distances from Trump. And I believe this is uh, calculated. And I think it has something to do with trying to get the war with Iran, have your cake, have your war and eat it, too, and be able to stay at the table. And fight again another day. So we can talk about that or any of the other topics I, I'm going to roll out next. 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blow it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. I am waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. My little New Yorker came out there. Saturday. <laughs> Got to pronounce those R's. Uh, so I'm here with my producer, Binkley, of course. Hey, Binkley. Hello. I would normally ask you for a tweet, but instead I want to talk about the story about Twitter, R. which first let me say, so we were, I'm sorry that it happened to you because of me, but we were purged from WordPress and got some demonetization and takedown and such much from YouTube. 
And then uh, WordPress totally set me up. You can go listen to the podcast. I've uh, told you about it numerous times. I forget the number of that podcast, but maybe we'll find it on uh, during the break. So what happened? So so WordPress sent me a letter saying, oh, bad things are happening on your account, but don't worry, we got your back. Hang on. And then they just wiped me out. It was terrible. <laughs> it took me behind the shed. It was over in a second. <laughs> So Twitter sent me a letter like that last year saying, oh, you communicate with Russian bots. We're not going to tell you who they are, but we're just <laughs> warning you for your own protection. Like, well, if I don't know who they are and I've got like 10,000 followers or whatever people I interact with, I can't really do anything. Then you and I both found out that the Russian bots that were supporting Roy Moore's campaign were actually the new knowledge operatives, the same people who are writing the book on Russian bots for the Senate, mm-hmm. right? They uh, they are the Russian bots. So it's probably them, them, in which case they're really targeting people who, not for like Russian purposes, but, they, but for political purposes and serious violation of the First Amendment, of course. Anyway, so I, I'm a little nervous about Twitter and... You Binkley did point out that the thing with the with Twitter was, or just, and I've noticed this. You know, this is histor- in the historical record as well. But you connected the dots. Is before a war, and in the beginning of a war, especially an unpopular war, the press is suppressed, yes. even to the point where where people go to jail for reporting against it. So the censorship and suppression and the crackdown that you saw, I think it, it can and will and would was definitely going to happen for a variety of reasons. But but as a unpopular war came would come closer, you would I think get that uh that the it would ramp up. So I was a little nervous about Twitter. So what we did when we were rebuilding for WordPress, uh we have a great guy doing it for us. Uh it, it, he's basically building like a feed where where us and listeners and stuff can go in and post our headlines and our comments there's like a couple of different ways to do it we're still kind of seeing how users are using it and i'm um, refining it it's just great it's at the prop report propreport.com it's called the pool like the press pool <laughs> you take a deep dive it's got a lot of nuances there and i feel like so i read this article this week in conjunction with the Iran story and I was really happy that we had kind of we're 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 on the ground running with this project because this headline I saw from Sign of the Times Twitter shores up Pompeo's Gulf of Tonkin fairy tale with a massive online propaganda campaign deleting thousands of pro-Iranian accounts so there was a lot of editorializing in that headline, but the it says Twitter has announced it's removing 4,779 accounts associated or backed by Tehran. Oh, I said last week, remember, I said because Russia is going to be because Iran soon? Yeah. Yes, because they were doing it. I mean, it wasn't that much of a revelation. They were doing it in the UK already. They were, they were banning Facebook accounts of uh, what were described as Iranian-backed uh, accounts mocking the royal family. Oh my they're, gosh! They're mo- that's that's an act of war. Apparently, mocking you lose all your rights to to engage in the public square, which this all now is. If you mock the royal family, but uh, so I knew it would be like because Tehran or because Iran instead of 
because, because Russia. Yeah. Uh, so they, so that's what, so that's what Twitter's doing. And it's easy if you say that it's Iranian backed. I mean, just like they said it was Russian backed when it was Democrat backed. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like probably deep state backed, but the article goes on to say that, uh, about this, this, uh, initiative the iran disinformation project that was established by the state department did you hear about this i saw that yeah and they and they decided to counter iranian propaganda but of course that's all subjective there's no looking into it but then i guess congress took back the funding for it somehow it was shut down uh, or diminished Because it supposedly, according to Sign of the Times, supposedly went rogue, smearing any and all critics of Trump's hawkish Iran policy, uh, describing them as paid operatives of the Iranian government. And, of course, that's the problem with with saying because Iran, because Russia. And I always even wondered how do how come like communists are un-American if they are American and they're like, well, they're operatives of a foreign government. I'm like, not sure. That. It, I found in another article talking about that same thing that it said that a report that was released last month by a cybersecurity firm said that Iran conducted a concerted misinformation campaign in the lead up to last year's midterm elections. Here? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, so Iran is now being that. What do you call that? Back engineered? <laughs> yeah. Just like Reverse the whole Russian narrative. Say it again. Just like the whole Russian narrative. Yes. Like you're yes. saying. Yes, but they're going backwards. Like yeah. that's like completely <laughs> yeah, yeah. without. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But I will say, as the story unfolded during the week, the Iran thing, there were Easter eggs for us to find, and you found a couple of them. And I, once I saw like a comprehensive article from somebody I think is disinformation, laying out all the Easter eggs for the people who <laughs> yeah. weren't just finding them for themselves. And every one of them I was texting you, I was just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Every single bullet point was like uh, was like a super counter-propaganda point. This is, so this is what I, I coined a term, trialectic, just when people were starting to understand what dialectic means. <laughs> trialectic dialectic is like one, one side takes one side, the other side takes the other side, and then they – so it's the thesis and the antithesis, and then they compromise on a synthesis. It could be – the results of war, but in the end, you end up in the middle. Well, that is so obvious now as a way to get policy promoted that I invented this expression, trielectic, because like the New Zealand shooter, supposedly, I think he wrote, it was reported in the Wall Street Journal, he wrote in his manifesto that he was pro-gun rights. So he was going to do this to spark gun control so that gun rights activists started a revolution. So he was working for the other side in order to get his side. I think that is what Judas Iscariot supposedly did, try to provoke Christ into doing what he wanted. But this is like the trielectic. There's another crazy story. I have absolutely no idea the truth behind it, but I remember thinking, wouldn't it be funny? I think it was Yitzhak Rabin was a prime minister of Israel who was like negotiating, I think, a two-state solution. Maybe he signed the Oslo Accord. I should have brushed up on it, but I think that's it. And he was killed by a right-wing Israeli. Shortly thereafter, Netanyahu took power and kind of remained in power since then. And everyone says, well, obviously there's some massive conspiracy because you would never put your own guy like this. It wasn't Netanyahu's guy because... 
he he would never put a guy that was a right wing Israeli in the hot seat like that. And then I thought, what if he did? Because he knew that people would never think you would be so stupid as to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think that's true. I don't, I mean, there's like books written about what really happened behind the scenes. That's like too ridiculous. But I thought at a certain point, like, this is how crazy your mind goes. Like at a yeah. certain point, you can't, you can't get ahead of the dialectic because they can just like, you know, it's like a double agent, a triple agent, a quadruple agent. Like yeah. you would never know. Like the the people involved can't even know. Yeah, they scramble your brain almost. Yes, yes, yes. So, so that is what this started to look like to me. Just a like you're. It's so crazy to try to figure out what's really happening because you know they want the war with Iran. Yeah, you know they want it, and then. Why would they do a false flag that was so obviously a false flag and then out themselves, you know, is doing it? But I do think it's to scapegoat Trump. But but some of those Easter eggs you found, one was like the, the video. The video looks like it was shot in, in 1940. What's it a video of? It's a video of what appears to be or what they say is a tanker going up to another tanker or a ship going up to a bigger tanker pulling some sort of. Uh, projectile missile out of the side of it, but when you're looking at it, you, you only get that interpretation because that's the interpretation they tell you. You can't really tell what is going on because it's such a yeah. bad video. Yeah, I was just talking to my husband last night telling him that there was this psychological experiment that where they took like the greatest sommeliers in the world and they took some of the best wines and just like terrible, like regular run of the mill table wines. And they switched the bottles. So they took the good wine yeah. out of the good bottles and they put the bad wine into the bottles and they switched it. Yeah. So if they take the sommeliers and all the glasses are unlabeled, they can tell you which one is which. Yeah. But once they see the label, they project uh -huh. onto the wine the things they know about that label i mean that's just mind-blowing to me and people were laughing because they're like oh that means that wine is baloney it's like it's not they can figure it out it's just can cannot trump their what they know is true yeah they prime your brain that this thing called the russian firehood of falsehood talks about doing that to control the narrative there's a propaganda paper written by by Rand Corporation about uh, spread of misinformation, and it talks about doing that very thing with the initial headline. So it could be a false headline that primes the viewer, and it basically sets the frame so it doesn't matter if they later find out the oh, real story. Which I would say characterizes 99.9% .9 of the headlines that come across my yep. phone. <laughs> I mean, they're just preposterous. Yeah. They're ridiculous, and they have nothing to do with it. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the problem. The reason that works is that we have faith in our institutions. We believe that you can't do that stuff unless without getting penalized for it. And I will tell you, this actually plays into what I wanted to talk about in the next hour. If you're, those institutions are only as good as the the litigation that keeps them honest so as people are not permitted to to or are not encouraged to or discouraged to go to trial to sue people for defamation 
for that kind of thing or like New York Times v. Sullivan where the person was allowed to paraphrase someone else and mischaracterize. <laughs> the journalist could mischaracterize what the per- what the quote was and put it in quotes and got away with it. Yeah. And that's a significant case for a lot of reasons. But that is very – so as you screw up the law, the laws are good. I think the laws are appropriate. But you have to be able to push it. So let's – Finish up after the break, and then at the top of the hour, I'm going to give you examples of how the law does and does not keep these institutions honest. Uh, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. I was just saying how I think that the warmongering establishment is going to distance from and scapegoat Trump to get their war and still maintain some credibility. And Binkley found a perfect quote and really ironic or not ironic on the on the contrary. Ken, who's the quote by? Michael Einstadt from the Washington Institute for the Near East Policy Think Tank. Okay, so that's when I played the quote of Patrick Clausen, who's still the director of research there. Uh, Kissinger and a bunch of other people sit on the board, and he said, we are in the game of provoking a conflict with Iran, and we could get nastier than that. This is that. That is the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. And what did the guy say? He said that some U.S. allies may not want to be seen as bandwagoning with the U.S. administration that may be seen as a loose cannon on this. Yeah. So he's saying and then no, go on. Finish the quote. Uh, They're going to want to wait until their intelligence agencies get from the American intelligence community our assessments and forensics. They'll want to have their own intelligence people look at the ships before they arrive at their own judgment. So this guy is the measured guy. Yeah. And he is saying that Trump is a loose cannon. I mean, this is a guy who wants the war, but he is pinning it all on Trump. It's not cool. I mean, I don't know if Trump knows what he's being set up for. I think Melania was was set up by an inside job with her RNC speech. Who knows uh, how deep this goes, but I'm just, I think you should be alert to it. More, uh, we're going to get into some other topics after the break. This is Monica Perez. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. We're knee-deep in conversations about false flags, the dialectic, Iran, what's really going on and what we should do about it. But it led us to a place I wanted to be, which is... I like to talk about the protections and the threats to our protections against government. Our, we, we have this contract, whether we've signed it or not. I don't know if I've signed it, but the deal was made that we would have this government, this uh, territorial monopoly on the use of force, and we would establish some protections against it so it could not abuse that power. That's uh, that's how I think of it anyway. That's how I think of the Bill of Rights. The first one, so so the Bill of Rights are about the keeping keeping uh control, transparency, 
against the government and keeping them from persecuting us for keeping them honest. So the First Amendment, I think, is mostly about keeping them honest. The, the petition assembly speech. But people ask, like, is the First Amendment, is it uh, unlimited? Can you say anything you want? Can you cr- cry fire in a crowded theater? And I say it, it isn't because it, it is effectively limited because if you do cry fire in a crowded theater and it causes a problem, you will be liable for that problem if there's no fire. So if people stampede each other or the theater owner has to refund tickets, then you are the person who caused that and you should be sued for the tort, for the damages, for for doing it on purpose. There was an example of this, of why we have a problem. I think it was the Westboro Baptist Church was protesting the funeral of a gay veteran. I think maybe he was killed in battle, but he, he caused pain. They caused pain intentionally to the family of this vet at his funeral. And when the family sued, the court said they were exercising their First Amendment rights so they don't have to pay you. And I say, yes, they were exercising their First Amendment right, more or less. I mean, that's not the reason for the right, but but they should have to pay for emotional and intentional infliction of emotional distress. And that will keep people from doing that. You're not you shouldn't be able to like the president shouldn't be able to sue you for uh, calling him out on a policy you don't like. That's not personal. It's what it's for. But if you're personally attacking somebody else, it's it's not a it's you should have to be responsible for those damages. That's all. And there was a case this week, hat tip to Byron, who sent it to me uh as soon as it came out, but it was in today's Wall Street Journal, that an Ohio bakery in uh sued Oberlin College for libel over accusations of racism that ha- that bakery has been awarded a total of $44 million in damages. So what happened was, I guess, uh, three students, three black students, uh, were involved in a shoplifting incident. Later, they pleaded guilty. I don't actually put a lot of stock in guilty pleas. But the idea was it was a shoplifting incident. The students happened to be black, and somebody latched on to that, made it a, a hate thing, attacked the bakery for uh, being racist. Oberlin College for a while suspended their contract with the bakery. Flyers were passed out on the campus. Students protested, and it it devastated the bakery's business. So they sued. It was intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, It was damages to the business. I, I don't know what the judgment was for. I shouldn't say that, but like they, what was done to them was wrong and it created real damages and they went to a jury and they, and they got compensation for that and the perpetrators got punished for it. Now there, it's going to be appealed and whatever. It's not the final outcome, but what, but it sets up the right incentives. You better be sure what you're doing is valid or you might have to face the consequences. I think the MAGA hat kids will probably, if, if the juries are fair, get compensation from the reckless the reckless disregard shown by journalists towards them 
for they did nothing and they were slandered or libeled, slandered. So this is good. This is what you want. And I, and I lose faith more and more in the ability of the legal system to function, especially in the criminal aspect. Binkley, you sent me, my producer Binkley here sent me this Pew study. Uh, what, tell me what it said. What was the takeaway from that? The headline was that 95%, I think, or 98% of of federal defendants never go to trial, and the ones that do lose. Yeah, so I was looking into that a little bit after you gave me the heads up, and it's even worse in state courts. And then I I further looked, and it says uh, it's... One of the judges in the case said that, or advocating against the plea bargains, let me read his quote. He said, former Eastern District of New York Judge John Gleason authored a forward to this report on that the jury trials are dying. He said, putting the government to its proof is a constitutional right enshrined in the Sixth Amendment. No one should be required to gamble with years and often decades of their liberty to exercise it. I've made this point just through casual observation. They did a massive study. It was like 75 pages. Yeah. Gleason said uh, he's the same judge who told the New York Times in 2014, prosecutors routinely threaten ultra-harsh, enhanced, mandatory sentences that no one, not even the prosecutors themselves, think are appropriate. Judge Gleason said the way prosecutors use trial penalty coerces guilty pleas and produces sentences so excessively severe they take your breath away. The report contends that trial by jury has been replaced by a system of pleas which diminishes to the point of obscurity the role that the framers envisioned for jury trials as the primary protection for individual liberties and the principal mechanism for public participation in the criminal justice system. Uh Guilty pleas have replaced trials for a very simple reason. Individuals who choose to exercise their Sixth Amendment rights to trial face exponentially higher sentences if they go to trial and lose. Now, these people are soft-pedaling the real recommendation, which is there should not be plea bargains. Now, I'm a libertarian, and I think you should be able to uh, exercise your liberty any way possible. But this, we don't live in a libertarian society. We live in a society where the government has absolute power, basically, if it isn't for these protections that we have. And to allow them to use that power uh, to to force us to give up those rights, it's a moral hazard, and I cannot stand by it. And But what they all say is that the criminal justice system would be would grind to a halt if you had to bring everybody to trial. But that's really only because there are way, way, way too many crimes. Most of them are generated by the drug war. So half of the crimes are violent. Half the crimes are nonviolent. I would say even the half that are violent are probably mostly crimes that are violence that's committed as businessmen try to enforce black market arm's length transactions. So you want to buy drugs, I want to sell you drugs, and you don't pay me. I got to break your legs because I can't call the cops. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that for anyone. I'm just (laughs) saying that's why black markets are inherently violent, not because drug dealers just have the psycho gene. It's not that. It's they they don't have access to courts and trials and jails. They just break your legs or kill you. Those are your two options. So – The drug war really skews it. And if they didn't have this plea bargain system, which is right, it takes 
98% of the people take the plea. If they didn't have that plea bargain system, they would be forced to look at those laws and how they're treated. So when I hear people saying we need criminal justice reform, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I have never heard anyone address the real problem, which is this. And I'm not like an advocate of drugs, and I don't think – I think drug legalization shouldn't be done in the name of tax raising or regulating it or any of that. I mean, uh, I think that's all a scam, too. And it's important to to realize that culture has a place, especially when you're legalizing drugs. It took 100 years to get us to this place where drugs are inherently evil and dangerous and abused and life-wrecking. I mean, the stuff that grows out of the ground, poppy and coca and weed, all that stuff, it has medicinal value to it. Codeine cough syrup used to be legal over the counter when I was growing up. It's like the only thing that can suppress a good, like a real bronchial cough. And now... So I couldn't get any, of course. You it's not over it. the counter anymore? <laughs> Codeine cough syrup? Yeah, I thought that was still over the counter. Oh, is it? I don't know. Oh, I didn't even think to ask. <laughs> I didn't even think to ask. So I assumed I couldn't get any, so I went to Urgent Care to see if they would give me some. I got a bill for $500 oh my for my gosh. son. It wasn't for me. It was for my son. $500. I mean, I didn't pay it. The insurance paid it, but I was horrified. It's like that for something that grows and is like in a flower? You know what I mean? So I I feel like anybody who advocates for gun rights, gun, a man-made object that defends you, it's great. You absolutely have gun rights. I advocate for it. But drug rights, I mean, who's to tell you you can't pull a weed out of the ground and use it for medicine? I mean, I don't advocate for the against the drug war like vehemently people have their their issues. I don't really have an issue. That's not my thing. But I, I recognize it, and that's what – the reason it's a problem is not only they use – they terrorize us with the evils of drugs coming over the border and all that kind of stuff. We, we're being convinced to take away our rights, to be surveilled all the time, to have biometrics at the border, all that stuff in the name of the drug war. And these gangs are all drug gangs. They, they, they are not only abusing our rights on through the terrorism, but, but – it's keeping us from having access to a vital avenue of protection against a an unjust government or political persecution. If you if they are going to threaten you with a hundred years in prison for one minor act, you're gonna take the plea whether you did it or not. It's a very it's a bad situation. So I love it when I hear the a, a trial system working. I even like tort law, which I didn't used to like, but I realize now by doing it this way, you don't have to make laws. You can be wronged, you can sue for them, and they set the precedent, and then people know how it is. And it all the laws emerge as the need emerges. It's you don't have to believe in some series of events to bring down some regulatory regime. Uh, you can. This is why I prefer the English system over the French system, the common law system over the statutory system. But I'm going to give you some examples after the break of places where there should be one of the many, 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 many cases where there should be a trial. We would have gotten more justice, but people are afraid. They take the plea, and uh, and it distorts our understanding of, of what's really going on out there and the abuse of power our government's engaged in. So I'm going to get to that after the break. 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. 
So I'm talking about these different cases where you don't have recourse to the law. This, this, there was a recent study out by Pew Research. Hat tip to Binkley for finding that for me. That said that not that almost a hundred percent of accused people in the federal system, and it's probably it's like ninety eight percent of the people, and it's it's arguably more in the state system, which means it's almost a hundred percent that people do not avail themselves of their constitutional rights to a jury trial. And as a libertarian, I always, I always like scratched my head at the Declaration of Independence, like unalienable rights. It's like, what do you mean unalienable? Like we can, you can alienate anything. You could sell yourself into slavery. You can uh, let somebody kill you. Like you're allowed to do anything you want because I'm a libertarian. And I'm not saying that that is like internally flawed logic wise, but I do draw the line when and I do think that that the libertarian movement gets um, abused for from outside for the in this way that you can't pick and choose your liberties if the oppressions are still intact. So if if we don't live in a free system to allow you, you're not allowed to deal drugs. But you are allowed to give up your rights when you're falsely accused of dealing drugs. So there, there are problems with the with this selective liberty approach because it is abused and promoted and manipulated. I think by this uh, abusive course of government. I think they they exploit us for that. So I'm kind of leaning towards no plea bargains and maybe not even forced arbitration clause. I'll figure I'll finish that thought after the break and I'll give you some more examples of how the system fails when you don't go to trial. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 955 at AM 750 WSB. I am waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. That's me. And I've been doing that all day so far, all show anyway, and I'm going to continue to do it. We're in the halfway mark. If you have missed the show or just want to hear it again, which I cannot tell you how many people email me like, I'm only my second time through the show, which of course makes me think that I talk too fast. <laughs> so it's my New Yorker in me. I get complaints about that too. So if you do want to hear the show, slow it down so you can understand. Um, just kidding. I'm just re- reminded of that SpongeBob episode where like I can't understand your accent. <laughs> it's like you can definitely understand the accent. Uh, but anyway, if you do want to, if you didn't catch the show, go to thepropreport.com. And on Wednesdays, you can get this show commercial free. I thank WSB for that. And on Thursdays, you can get the podcast I do with my producer Binkley here. And we're going to, I think, launch an interview series soon. So that'll be fun. Maybe I'll play clips on the air and then you can hear the whole thing at the website. And we are in beta on basically a little uh, hour version. Well, it's, it's a community forum, but where people really give some good headlines, some good insights, and it's where I give all of the insights I have, original insights in the news 
uh, of the day or of the hour as the week goes on. So I'll post like 20 times in a week. It's really great stuff, I think. So that's in beta. You can go to thepropreport.com for that. But what we were talking about before the break, I was saying we Binkley sent me a study, a Pew study, and as you dig into it, I, I found that there's a much broader study about how uh, jury trials are going away. I mean, it's like 2% of the people who are accused of crimes, charged with crimes, go to actual trial. And one of the problems, it's a 75-page report, so I didn't get through it, but it absolutely confirms what I had suspected, which is people are under such grave threat. Like, I think of John DeLorean. He fought and won that he was entrapped. I don't think that would happen today. I just don't think so. And and there's a couple of problems with that. One, one is they say that they just coerce you into giving up your rights, and that is bad. Uh, they... it. It clogs up the system. And another thing that it does is it distorts our understanding of what's really happening in the world. So a good example of that is this this uh, college admission scandal case is – Binkley, you had turned me on to the fact – you had mentioned that Lori Loughlin – was was she conservative or Christian? What was it that you knew about her? When this all came out, you're like, oh, Lori Loughlin, you, you'll be happy to hear she's whatever, Catholic or something. She is a Christian and I believe a conservative and was on the Hallmark Channel all the time. Right. So before that, she was like a t- regular mainstream TV star. And then yeah. I, I wonder if – did we not discuss this? Like people who uh, – people get relegated. Like I always thought Eddie Murphy – People did not like his politics, so he got relegated to kids' movies for, like, 15 years. Yeah. He stopped making good movies. And, I mean, they were good movies, but they were kids' movies. Yeah. He lost his position of influence among the people who matter, I guess, or who are perceived to matter. Yeah, it was a far cry from Raw, the stand-up special. Yeah, Daddy Daycare. Yeah. I've seen that, like, 15 times. <laughs> that's, a, that's a function of my circumstances and not the quality of the movie, but it was enjoyable. So my kids, so then I was like on an Eddie Murphy watching binge with my kids. And then I like was like, oh, how bad could Beverly Hills Cop be? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely got turned off (laughs) like one beat too late. So so she got relegated to the Hallmark Channel. But I figured I thought it was weird that she was going to lie, cheat and steal whatever for for her children. I just thought it was weird. Just didn't make sense to me what kind of a distorted moral viewpoint she had or what kind of a hypocrite was it doing her any good to pretend that she was a person of morals? Like, I didn't know. So when I dug into it, that's when I read the FBI affidavit and realized that she was, in my opinion, completely conned out of money, totally deceived. This guy Singer is just the scum of the earth. And I was... This is just, and she got a really good lawyer, I was happy to see. But this is where I think, well, she'll probably plea bargain because who can who can risk it? And all the other people did plea bargain, but she fought it, and they immediately dumped more charges on her, and then she was facing 40 years instead of a year and a half, which in itself is a tell of what a terrible system this is. Yeah. So I'm very happy that she's fighting it. I hope that if she is a victim, she's exonerated. 
And I would, I, it really annoys me that the guy who did it to her, Singer, is the guy that the government decided to cooperate with to set up the parents and the coaches who, the stories that I've read in depth, he is the perp and they were the victims. And the story I want to get into this week is no exception to that, is a prime example. Yeah. So the Lori Lachlan thing, what was the update on that? I haven't seen. Well, her, they, her defense strategy appears to be that they believed that the donations were – they were intended to be donations to colleges or to sports programs and not bribes. Yeah, that is what I actually think she thought, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of it was. I think this guy, Singer, was such a scammer, I don't even think he was really getting those kids in. Yeah. I think they were getting in anyway. Yeah. And he was only taking those people who he thought could get in. And this story from Stanford, I'll just read you. Uh, it might be getting out of order a little bit, but let me read you just one paragraph that I think supports that. Um, Mr. This is about the, if you might have heard, the coach from Stanford is the first person who is, they, they call it convicted. But it's a plea bargain. It was registered as a conviction, but people get deceived into thinking that there was a, a process. There's no process. I've heard a lot of podcasts and news channels uh, saying that indictments are convictions lately, implying that. Oh, and this is oh, this is one of the big, big problems with the plea bargain that was in that study is that indictments are absolutely you can indict a ham sandwich because that is not where the checks and balances come into play yeah. that's just a, a gate that is just a, a swinging door you just go through it because it's a certainty that all the evidence that's brought up there or left out there will come out in trial yeah yeah and it's it's the reason we have this grand jury indictment system to be so easy is just uh i don't even know why it's that it's it's that way but i guess it's just to have some kind of vague process by which uh, you slow down the flow of pure political persecution, maybe. I don't know. There's some benefit to it. But without the jury trial, which is that's terrible to, to have this the way the indictment system is. But you don't need to redo that. Plea, plea bargains, to me, I, I I would consider reading them as unconstitutional. But, but what uh, – so this guy, uh, the Stanford coach – Entered a plea. It's such a such such a sad story, uh, but out of order. It says Mr. Singer, who's the con artist, came to Stanford, and Mr. Vandermeer is the sailing coach, who's the first to go down here. Came to Stanford a day after first calling Mr. Vandermeer. Toward the end of the conversation, he said he had a student introduced to the sailing coach. That girl has since been identified as Yuzi Zhao, whose family paid Mr. Singer. Buckle your seatbelt. Six and a half million dollars for his service. Oh, my gosh. But get this. Get this. Mr. Vandermeer ultimately didn't help on Ms. Zhao's application. Prosecutors said in a court filing that it proved too late in the season to tag her as an athletic recruit, but she gained entrance through the regular admission oh process. Oh, my gosh. She got paid <laughs> six million to not even help her. Well, I mean, I'm certain that he told them he was helping her. Wow. It says prosecutors said she got in partly due to the falsified sailing credentials Mr. Singer created on her application. But I don't know. I, he gets yeah. he gets a certain allocation of recruits he can tag. And mm-hmm. what he does, this is like normal, I guess. 
what you do is you pick the ones who can help pay for the boats. That's what he was saying. Like, it's an expensive thing. I need people to pay for the boats if they're going to sail. And chances are real sailors have the money. Because that's, like, not an option that was open to me as a child. Yeah. Like, yeah, I do not know how to sail a Not boat. a lot of broke sailors. <laughs> yes, right. Like the inner city sailors <laughs> who who resent the fact that the rich kids are paying for all the boats. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, the rich kids are paying for the boats. <laughs> like, thank you. So, um, so I really don't even – it's just, like, cockamamie. And uh, so – but – it uh, I read this guy singer an absolute unbelievable con man and it's it galls me that he is the guy who the feds decided to get in bed with at the expense of people like like coach Vandermeer I really I, it's it breaks my heart that he played so listen to Monica Perez it's a man house! A man house! On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. This is Monica Perez. Little technical difficulties, but I think we're back in action. And uh, I just want to finish with the story I was telling about the Stanford coach, if I can be heard. Which Stanford? Whoops. Uh, okay. So we were talking about this coach, the Stanford coach, Vandermeer. And listen to this story and tell me if you do not agree that this guy was completely railroaded. It says, uh, when Mr. Singer rang the uh, rang Vandermeer, he told him he had matched clients with coaches and what Vandermeer says is he was really engaging. He seemed very interested in me. And while such a recruiting contact was a first for him, he knew it was common in other sports. And then he goes on to talk about how it's not an NCAA sport. People don't scrutinize it. And there's just it, people don't know about it. And this is exactly what I thought when I heard the Lori Lachlan story about uh her kids rowing crew. So it's a weird sport. Nobody expects you to even know anything about it. I think this is all part and parcel of the same thing. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to iron out the, uh, hopefully the technical difficulties are behind us. And I'll finish with this story and tell you some of the other stories of how these guys don't, if you don't get a jury trial, I think nine out of 10 times true justice is not served. This is Monica Perez. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. Open your mind. Open your This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Many apologies for totally bizarre technical glitches before the break. I think those troubles are behind us now, but I don't think I gave Coach Vandermeer justice. I won't uh, belabor that story, but I had been talking about how when... 
a very important thing, and this relates to the next story I want to talk about, about not having plea bargain, about having plea bargains is, or somebody gets killed in the, in the perpetration of a crime or goes and suicides behind that thing, like these mass shootings, very, very, very few, very few of these big impact stories are uh, adjudicated in a court of law. And the few that are, it's not live streaming. It's, you do not see what is going on. And what the problem with that is you are told the circumstances. You are told the facts that led to this unacceptable outcome. And you are led to embrace a policy solution that you would not otherwise embrace. It's the old Rahm Emanuel doctrine. If you have a trial by jury, you vet the facts. You vet the facts. And then you see what the real problems were. And if it was, it could not, it may be in many cases not a failure of the law, but a failure in the execution of the law. In which case, that's a very different solution from from there's a failure in our fundamental legal principles. And I believe that our fundamental legal principles are sound and that they work with our foundational documents and that if you mess with them, you really are going to mess with the ability to protect yourself from government. This is supposed to be a self-limiting government. It's not really self-limiting. It's a pushback. It's a pushback government. They can't get away with this stuff. So this this thing with the college admission scandal seems like a complete scam and abuse of power to me. I don't know what policy agenda they're trying to push here. But with this Stanford coach, there was no financial loss to the university. I don't even know if anybody benefited whatsoever. The coach didn't benefit. He just gave the money to his program like he was supposed to. This guy Singer walked away in this one case with $6.5 million dollars. So that guy is the perp, yet the FBI sits with him and tries to take down these other people. And dime on a dollar, there's going to be a policy agenda coming out of this. Could be free college, right? It could just be the socialist agenda. I mean, Binkley, you saw this. uh, I mean, you've dug into this with me, and I think that you see what what I'm saying here. Like, there's something up. They're going to call for a change to the complete university system, probably. Yeah, and admissions, uh, they've already started messing with the SATs in a way where it yeah. it talks about, like, it adds points for, like, where you came from. Yeah. Which is all already in the admissions process. And let me tell you, I, I my origins had challenges in getting – I understand completely that people with privilege, people born to the manor – are at an incredible advantage every step of the way because starting with sending you to the right schools, teaching you how to take tests, telling you how to behave in an interview, uh, having connections to get you internships so it doesn't look like you work for daddy, but you're working for daddy's friend, but there's no paper trail for that. All these things I faced. I dropped out of high school. I went to community college, and I ended up at Harvard 100%, in my opinion, A, because I had that kind of moxie, but really – None of that mattered. None of that would have meant anything. Dropping out of high school and going to community college isn't amazing unless you get, like, great scores on the SATs. You know, like, you have to have that entree, and that is there. And if you start messing with that, it's not going to be 
progressive. It's going to be regressive. Yeah, it's like equity of test scores. Everybody has a right to the same test score. Right, but almost. it's your only hope of clawing your way out of the gutter is yeah. if you are going to be useful to the machine. You know, you want them to give you the hand up and take their chances that you're going to help them. I mean, that's what it's all about. They want you with them. I mean, it's it's about feeding the machine. It's about producing for them. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. I, I like the free market system. I want I liked being a banker. I worked my butt off and I got paid for it. And they were right to pick me because I had the capacity to produce for them. But they wouldn't really have known that if everybody – then after me, like, everybody got 1600s, and I was scratching my head trying to find people to recruit into my investment banking firm because everybody had 1600s. Yeah, it, the, the new SAT thing is going to be called an adversity score. It's like a sliding I, scale based yeah. on your background, they, which has and, nothing to do with actual education. And I would like to know what my adversity score would be compared with Stacey Abrams, for example. Interesting. Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, my guess is I would score as having less adversity. And let me just tell you, there. I mean, I have eight brothers and sisters, and, and I can tell you every single one of them. I mean, some of them made it, some of them didn't, but they, it was, uh, it was just tooth and nail fighting to, and it's because like, I just see it as like immigrants, our grandparents were immigrants and they come, they, both of my grandmothers were maids. And then did I ever tell you this when I was applying for JP Morgan, a job at JP Morgan, I said, oh, my mother was a maid for JP Morgan. My grandmother was a maid for JP Morgan. And she said, the downtown office. I said, no, the person. <laughs> yeah. My grandmother, oh, wow. Yeah. My grandmother only would work where they had a lot of books. So she was a maid at Cornell so that she could have access to the library. And she was a maid at J.P. Morgan, who was famous for his book collection, I think. But she, anyway, she thought he would have some books, and he did. And um, so she educated herself. But then her children were uh, had kind of trades. My mom became a practical nurse. My dad was um, a meat cutter, and then he owned a gas station and had three heart attacks, so he didn't hit the wave of the oil crunch in the 70s, so he didn't really benefit from that. But he had a chance to, you know, his father had been an entrepreneur, and he had a chance to build on that. And then from there, you kind of get mainstreamed, and you can claw your way out if you do well on those tests, which they have so they can see what your aptitude is for producing and and yeah. producing and consuming have to go hand in hand especially in a free system i like it and it would seem that this new adversity score would harm people who come from uh hard places and overcome more than anybody else it's this is an age-old question that people uh some people lose sight of and some people don't is and there's va validity to different i think there's validity to the different interpretations of it but is adversity is uh, is the classism is is Marxism Marxism focused on economic problems? Cultural Marxism focuses on identity, which is something that cannot be quote remedied. I mean, it's not it's not an illness, yeah. so I would not like to call it remedied. But to the extent it's a stigma or an insurmountable obstacle, it's 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 a problem without a solution. You cannot change your identity. So I actually think focusing on it is disempowering to the individual, and it's a, and it's a scam because it's hopeless. Absolutely. When there's no solution to it and you're promising solutions and mobilizing around it, it's a total scam.
Whereas if people are poor and suffering and their parents don't have anything to retire on or to take care of and you can demonstrate in some objective way that you are able to produce at the highest levels, you they let you into that club and then you you do have the surplus capital and the surplus like I think of Ron Paul. Like he had enough capital to stop being a doctor and go be a troublemaker in Washington. Now that's a, that's when then they had to like all right, but we need a progressive tax rate to make sure that doesn't happen too often. Yeah, and me, you know, I mean, I I didn't like. Uh, I I'm here at the benefit. Of my main job is taking care of kids, and I have this opportunity to do this. But most people can't really do it because they're really busy with the overworked full time jobs. Yeah, and and a lot of people that come from that overcome a lot that start in a you know a, a, they struggle and they overcome if they do not fit the right intersectionality thing then they're going to be punished once they do reach the pinnacle you know what i mean oh well that's a whole nother thing it's like that crazy it's like the minimum wage thing it's as if minimum wage is reserved for Guys who have like six kids and nobody can work and they're all handicapped or whatever. You know, it's not it's not like that. And and wage saying, please don't don't even get me started. Ocasio Cortez is against tipping, which proves a hundred percent that her story is full of it. I was making after taxes seventeen dollars an hour as a waitress, like if you did the math, when I was seventeen. I remember thinking, oh, I'm 17 and I'm making $17 an hour. Yeah. I mean, after taxes and my salary, my paycheck was zero because you got paid like two bucks. And then the tax they did take after Reagan, they did take taxes out. So the paycheck was zero. It was just tips. And now they're talking about giving people $15. And what happens is the restaurant owner puts 15% on the tab. Looks like that's what you're giving, but they don't have to give that to the waitress when it's a fifteen dollar minute. Yeah. They're just giving fifteen dollars, which is always less on an hourly basis than fifteen percent of the check she's turning. Yeah, she's it's not a, making a lot of friends who are bartenders with that such position. Such a scam. Such a scam. You know, if I ever meet her, I'm just gonna ask her one question. What's that? What's the difference between a sour and a flip? Oh, you're going to test her drink knowledge. Yes. Don't tell anybody. Did you see that she, she did like a it. bartending shift uh, as what? a promotional thing recently? Oh, she did? Yeah. She must have heard me say that. This has happened to me once or twice before. Like I say something and then they fix the flaw. Yeah. So they, I was like, they unless they really trained her as a bartender so that she knows all this. Dang it. I knew I shouldn't have said anything. Well, I don't know what that. kind of drinks she made. There might have been simple drinks. No, but I mean, she's smart. She could totally, it doesn't take much to figure it out. It's just that if she didn't see it coming, it would have really been great. But oh, oh well. So I do have, I, this, I want to, I want to tell you like the, I, I, when I talked about the Virginia Beach shooting, I talked about a very specific thing that nobody else talked about. And it came up this week in a follow up. And I want to uh, tell you about that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I think we just found something super interesting that is a, during the break that he's been seeing lately anyway. So he found this, the Iran video purportedly proves that the story's real, our narrative is real. But the video you showed, Binkley, was that it looks totally fake, right? Yeah, it's black and white, it's grainy, and it's from a distance. Right, okay. That makes people feel like they can, they can't be fooled because they can tell when something isn't real. Yeah. 
So what else would make people think they couldn't be fooled? If they are taught how to spot a deep fake. And who might teach them that? Well, there's a website for that. You can <laughs> and, test and your ability. Who is promoting that website? World Economic Forum, CNN. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's just funny because like, the World Economic Forum is they. Yeah. Quote they, and they are creating the deep fakes that will completely destroy. I mean, maybe that's the last straw for the jury system. Like you could have videos and be like, well, we can't be trusted because whatever. So, but you're not going to be super afraid of them if you're, if you're taught that there's a tell. Yeah. If you think you can spot them, then you're probably going to be um, bamboozled by them more than others. Yes, exactly. And the way they'll do it is maybe this, maybe this is the way they're doing it, but they would do it exactly in this way where they have like a major thing. I think I've heard something like this recently. They'll have like a major thing that people are causes real problems because of a deep fake. And mo- a lot of people will be like, I knew that was fake. I could tell that was fake. And that will reassure them that they yeah. cannot be duped. Yeah, yeah. False confidence. Oh, nice. I love a little, I mean, it's, that's a pretty digestible one. But I do like that it's something that's in... If it's given a name, it means that it's got a role yeah. and it's used. So, all right, I want to give that update about the Virginia Beach shooting and how I think that, like all these, are exploited for other reasons. So I'll get to that in a sec, 404 872 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me. I need some tweets. Let's read some tweets after the break at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasy. I'm interested in reality. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. So I definitely want to wrap up the Stanford thing. I want to get to some tweets, but I have to just read. Did I read this paragraph on air about since he pleaded guilty? Did, did you hear this? Since he, this is the conclusion about this Coach Vandermeer, who read the article from the Wall Street Journal. I mean, it's awful that the guy Singer, who scams people out of this money, that, that this, uh, who knows what punishment Singer's going to get. It breaks my heart for the Stanford coach. So since he pleaded guilty, Mr. Vandermeer and his family moved to a friend's beach house. That's nice. To uh, After he lost his lease at his Stanford housing, he enrolled in online classes at Cornell University towards a certification in project management, knowing he will probably need a new career. And this is a guy who did nothing wrong. Yeah. He did nothing wrong. He was he has to pay for the boats. He has a couple of admission slots to do that. And when he did get some money from this guy, he brought it put it right into the department thing. Every person this guy brought him he thought had some sailing experience. I mean, it was Singer was scamming these people. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was saying, "Oh no, she's not really very good." He was saying she's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she these people weren't this guy was not in on it. It's awful. And I, and this is a function of uh plea bargains. If you weren't allowed to do that, and I don't even and there's no damages. I mean, there's no crime here. They were trying to get the pr- prosecutors say uh they that it's going to the outcome could mean prosecutors are facing a high bar in landing significant prison time for others where there are fundamental questions over whether the crime actually caused financial losses. There's no damages. Singer was the one who was defrauding people. 
Yeah, and the news is making it like the damages is against the people who did not get into college there. I don't even think that any that happened at all. There were the other two individuals they talk about as being part of this uh, of the students as being part of the scam. It says um, Mr. Singer returned with a second prospect in 2017, offering a financial reward if Mr. Vandermeer designated the applicant as a recruit, which prosecutors said he did. Mr. Singer sent $110,000 to the sailing program the following spring, even though the applicant chose to go to Brown. And then, so the applicant did not end up going to Stanford. After so, all of that? Yes. And, and it says then Mr. Singer offered three other recruits who could come in place of that student, prosecutors said. Uh, one, a falsified athletic profile for one, a young woman from Vegas, said she commuted to Long Beach and Newport Beach to train. She was approved as a sailing recruit, but ultimately chose Vanderbilt. Mr. Singer sent 160000 last fall. So I don't even know if the coach recommended the two who are not followed up on. I mean, there's not one single story in this whole thing of him helping somebody unqualified to get into the school who went to the school. So people who were accused of cheating to help their children get into a school after cheating said, you know what, we're going to go somewhere else. Right. So my guess is those people aren't being prosecuted because yeah. they didn't end up at Stanford. It's just so screwy. But who goes to Brown or Vanderbilt? I don't know. I don't Maybe know. I, it, I don't know. I really don't know. I guess I don't know my rankings. So let's do some tweets, and then I'll give you the Virginia Beach thing. Let me just do the Virginia Beach thing, and then I'll give you some tweets. You give me some tweets, okay? The Virginia Beach thing is just this. When we talked about the shooting, I said, I don't think this is really about gun control. It's like the Iran straits thing right now that's happening it's they're not trying to spark a war this time they're trying to do other stuff this time they're trying to get ships into the streets of hormuz they're trying to get the united states to be the police force that that uh, watches out for all those tankers on our dime by the way so i think the gun dialectic is in fact the gun control versus the gun rights people i think it is absolutely the same lever that immigration, terrorism, and the drug war are used on the right. This is what's used on the left to get them to give up to change on their rights. So they don't want to give give up the gun rights, gun control battle, not only because it's one of the few things like abortion that keeps the left-right dialectic, the Republican-Democrat dialectic alive because of the Supreme Court argument, but because as a dialectic, it's effective in in what it's doing is it's demanding action short of banning guns as a compromise. So after Sandy Hook, you expected a bunch of gun control laws to come down. But the, the what actually happened was Obama took out a hard-won provision from Obamacare where you could not – doctors, pediatricians could not ask families about gun ownership. That was quietly removed. Now they do it. And really? It's just those little things that happened after Sandy Hook were more about surveillance and other things. And that encourages you to put people in those jobs who don't like guns, who suspect guns and what, want like them removed. like pediatricians? Do I? Pediatricians yeah. put who in what jobs? Well, actually, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if – College admissions for medical school, which is highly limited, does have political profiles. Although a lot of doctors are 
smart about that, but they're pre-existing doctors. They're not the post-Obamacare yeah. doctors. I don't know. So, so they, so these shootings, I think, often are what I'm observing is emerging is they're using the dialectic to get other things passed. And we're all like, oh, at least they didn't take the guns. They didn't take the guns. Thank goodness. They didn't take the guns. They'll take everything else. Well, you, you should put crazy people in jail. I mean, obviously, you know, so the, the red flag movement, the red flag law movement is being led by Republicans. And every article that you say says, or at least supported by them, will say, uh, uh, finally, bipartisan compromise on one common sense gun measure. But the mental <sighs> health thing is yeah. the worst of all because they can take anyone and put them away without due process. It's yeah. the worst of all. Yeah. It's the worst. I mean, we absolutely positively need the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. You have to have them. And this bypasses that. It's worse than the plea bargain strong-arming to get people in jail who may or may not have actually committed a crime. These are people who have not committed crimes yet who will, don't even get the constitutional protections that accused criminals get. Yeah, and the more that that's allowed to happen, the more they can apply this mental health standard to other areas. Of course, of course. It only starts with the thing that's the most egregious. And then it's everything. It's the rights to see your kids, probably. Are you a conspiracy theorist? Well, you uh, have a mental problem. Save that for another day because <laughs> I have, as long as your arm, a list of things that we should do it with the um, anti-vax hysteria movement. Yeah. Let's let's save that, like conspiracy hysteria and all that uh, uh, for a little special report. But I, but I've noticed that with these shooting things, these shooting stories, there's always there's always another agenda served. With Parkland, it did shut down the internet, that's for sure. But it started with these, it started these red flag laws, which absolutely, what was it in place in Parkland at the time? If this guy had really been under police scrutiny 35 times for people calling, he would have been locked up. And yeah. he's a mental case. That's ridiculous. They have that stuff already. But there's also a lot of other things that are going down uh, with these other shootings, like uh, privilege, privacy and privilege violations uh, are coming down, like doctor client, lawyer client, priest penitent, spousal. Though Columbine, I think, in, oh yes, in Columbine, they're they're starting to say that at risk or identified youth need to see therapists, and that the government can monitor. The the either the conclusions of the therapist or whatever, and it follows them into adulthood. It's pretty scary. There's a, what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a Wall Street Journal article. I've tweeted it and posted it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but wow, yes, it's really scary. And another, uh, the priest penitent. That's a law in California. They're trying to say if if a penitent confesses to child molesting, the priest has to turn him in. Which, if they're going to do it for that, they're going to do it for murder and rape and everything. So that would mean confession goes away, and confession is actually a very useful tool yeah. in helping people atone. You can't even get a good confession if you are not committed to amending, and you would just not go. I it mean, becomes gonna... a legal confession. What is? What? It would become a legal confession. Yes, right, which you're never going to do. So it makes no sense. But the spousal thing, I think, was something that was breached broached with the pulse nightclub they put the wife on trial for like being complicit in it she got off they should have put the dad on trial yeah like, pictures of him in the white house he used right? to have a youtube channel where he would 
say all kind of crazy stuff. The uh, the Pulse Shooter's dad? Yeah. Yeah, he was like had deep intelligence connections. It was kooky. Uh Due process is definitely in the crosshairs. You have Joe Manchin saying due process is killing us right now because that pulse shooter was known to the FBI. And, you know, you can't keep someone in jail until they do something wrong. I mean, what kind of a system is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) I like it. Uh, Encryption. They want to make sure that your phones can be hacked into by them, which means they can be hacked into by others. That's what the San Bernardino shooting was exploited for. And, And the censorship. The Parkland definitely impacted the ability to make good searches on Google anyway. But the you pointed out, Binkley, the live stream, the New Zealand shooter helped to make a call for a solution to the fact that live streaming is dangerous. Yeah, they've already started restricting it, who can use it and how it's used. Uh, I even think I think that live streaming is essential to I think all all government monitored cameras and audio should be live streamed mm-hmm. because if they have a right to it without a warrant, then so do we. It yeah. means there is no legal requirement at all for constant surveillance. We own those cameras and we should see it. Similarly, I think all trials should be live streamed. Yeah. All, all discussion, if you want to do discussions of pleas or whatever, but – Let's just see it all and put put the questions about these things to bed. But in any none of those cases were there jury trials, so you don't get to fully vet what actually happened. So the solutions they offer us wouldn't necessarily impact cases like this. Uh, but I did want to get a couple of tweets. So go. All right, I have a tweet from Politishark who says, I have no clue why you're saying Judge Napolitano has been a Trump backer. Nothing could be further from the truth. I I gave Judge Napolitano the benefit of the doubt for giving Trump the benefit of the doubt for a while. Stuff that I thought – and he was getting a little weird about some of his interpretations. I mean technically he'd be right about this or that, but it didn't didn't feel right to me. I thought there was something up with him. And after he had that big meeting with Trump, like as soon as Trump was inaugurated, I thought, geez, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that one. But the last straw for me with Judge Knapp was when he attested to the fact that Bill Barr was solid citizen, great guy, true blue patriot. Bill Barr really was bad news. I did a a whole show or two on the many, many Deep state activities and not Obama holdovers. Do not ruin that word for me. (laughs) Deep state killed Kennedy. It is not Obama holdovers. But he, so he, I mean, he's just knee deep in this stuff. And that Judge Knapp, he could say, I don't know anything about the guy. But to say that he knew him and that he was a good guy was just could not be true. Yeah. So I lost faith in Judge Knapp. But then more recently, he's absolutely right back, uh, in the in the saddle and i don't i try not to hold people to too high a standard i mean there's some stuff that just gets you kicked off the darn air well he was off right he was kicked off for like a couple of weeks after he said the british were behind the russian i don't know about that i know i think that was a takeoff on something that was already out there when he made his one of his last shows he had his own show one of his last shows was how 
almost all terrorist plots are FBI setups. So the FBI finds some vulnerable guy, gives him a bomb, and then arrests him for having a bomb. Yeah. Like, that's it. And that's when plea bargains are absolutely outrageous because then you have these people who are mentally defective. They're entrapped, and they would never – I mean, they would, they're would. they probably facing a capital punishment or something close to that. They would never fight it in court. And then you see someone like Ross Albert who does fight it and then gets his head handed to him on a on a silver platter. But, uh, yeah, so that's when Napolitano really got taken down and people thought it was for that. The more recent one I thought maybe was playing into the, the trialectic, I'm going to call it. Yeah. Anyway, wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are wrapping it up. Sorry to say, there's always so much more to talk about, which is actually what we do a lot of times on the podcast. So Binkley and I have a podcast that we post on thepropreport.com on Thursdays, but we also post this show commercial-free on Wednesdays, also on thepropreport.com. And uh, I put a lot of little tidbits up. Somebody just texted me, uh, a, a mom finds her daughter... 25 feet down a mountainside. I've noticed for weeks now, I noticed it like the third one. There are all these stories of people falling to their deaths. I don't understand it. So I'm going to give you a little hashtag what to watch out for. And uh, you can go to thepropreport.com and see Binkley and I and, and listeners chime in with their thoughts about the headlines that are constantly bombarding us. So the headlines are often misleading, but we've got some great insights from our listeners on there. And uh, we're always with an eye to defending our rights and protections against an overreaching government that is is just looking to take more and not for us. It's for some somebody else. Anyway, so what do you want to add, Binkley, and then we'll wrap it up? Subscribe to the Propaganda Report podcast. I will link it on Twitter. Okay. At Freedom Act Radio. That's right. And I'm at Monica Perez Show. And then, um, but we also are kind of doing our own Twitter equivalent there on thepropreport.com. That's going to be super fun. Until next week, we will be back right here on WSB Saturday from 3 to 6. This is Monica Perez.